0: I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has broken my teeth with gravel, he has trampled me in the dust, I have been deprived of peace, I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone, and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall, I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning.
1: Great is your faithfulness.
0: I say to myself,
1: the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Good evening. My name is Zim Okoli. I'm one of the ordinance here at HTC is great to be with you this evening. I've been here since September uh, with the church. And if you don't know what an ordinand is, is just someone who's training for ordination, hence ordinand. That means we're training to be a, a minister with the church. Um, we've got a great passage in front of us this evening. Let me pray for us as we come to hear from God. Let's pray. Our Father God, we, we thank you so much for your word. We're so in debt to you for choosing to speak to us and to reveal yourself to us. We think of how Jeremiah says that your word is a hammer and a fire. We ask that your word would refine us this evening and help us to look to you afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I think it was last year I tuned into an online event called Movies of Prayers. It was an event that explored how movies, uh, a type, a picture of lament. Last week, Jamie very helpfully told us, laments is when we process our emotion in prayer and we voice our confusion. Now this, this, this uh, movie event, Movies of Prayers, it picked the film 12 Years a Slave, and it showed a particular scene where uh, some slaves are gathered for a funeral, and they're there because another slave has died after brutal violence from a slave master. And they gathered by this a uh, graveside. And I think we're gonna have a clip of what uh was showing in that event.
0: My soul arise in heaven, Lord, for the you don't road. Well, some say John was a Baptist, some say John was a Jew. Oh, but I say John was a preacher because my Bible says so. I said, roll with your roll. In for the year when Jordan It's
1: a very powerful scene. I don't know if you noticed the protest on the face of Solomon Northup, the, the main character who the camera zoomed in on. Did you see the anger on his face? But I don't know if you, know, if you noticed something happening because at first Solomon is, is downtrodden. It's almost like you can hear him saying, why should I sing to God when He has done nothing to stop the brutality? And his face is down, his shoulders hunched, and he is not singing. But he begins to process his emotions. As the words of the song works in him, you see slowly his gaze lifting. His shoulders opening and he begins to sing loudly at the top of his voice. His face is still angry. He's still protesting, but he's singing to God. This is what lament is. When our hope seems dead, we bring our protest to God and we find renewed hope in him. This is what we're going to be seeing in our passage today in Lamentations 3. It's the process that we see the poet go through in this passage. It begins verse 1, I am the man who has seen affliction. In Lamentations 3 things get personal. You see last week we saw the voice of Jerusalem personified in Lady Zion Speaking on behalf of the people, but now the poet steps to the forefront and it's personal. He says, I am the man who has seen affliction. He has a protest to bring to God. But you see, as we listen to his protest, we are, we are not objective, neutral bystanders. We too have our suffering. Some of you here this evening have a personal protest to bring to God and so we join him and you see sometimes when we go through pain and darkness in that moment it can feel like all hope is lost I don't know what you're going through right now or have been through a wise person once told me when it comes to suffering it's not a matter of when. Sorry, it's not a matter of if, but when. You just have to live long enough. And when we find ourselves in that pain, things can feel hopeless. And that's the first dynamic we see in this passage this evening is, what does it look like when hope in the Lord dies? That's our first point, when hope in the Lord dies. Have a look again at verse 1 to 3. It should come up on the screen. He says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. There is no mince in his words here, right? He he says, I I'm in pain because of the Lord. It is by the hand of the Lord's wrath, his anger. It's like he says, the Lord has become a bad shepherd to me. Instead of using his rod to lead me towards safety, he has used his rod to drive me away into darkness. What a a frightening mental space to be in, to not be able to think anything else but... The God who should be for me seems to be against me. It might be that you know that feeling. Right now in life, God seems to be leading you from one dark tunnel into another. And you wonder, what is God doing in all of this? But I do wonder, why does the poet seem to say God has done this? Why does he... Choose that at his conclusion. You see, actually, that should surprise us. You see, in our day and age, actually most people conclude that actually suffering is a sign that there is no God. There's no one to blame. Here's how the atheist Richard Dawkins puts it. He says this in his book, the River Out of Eden. In a universe of electrons and selfish genes, some people are gonna get hurt, but other people are going to get lucky. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is a bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good. Cherry. (laughs) See that's very interesting, except that actually when we when we look at most of human history, and actually when we look at most humans today in the world, no one seems to come to that conclusion when they suffer. Actually, most humans sense that deep down, there is something wrong with the world, that the world is not how it should be, and that there must be a story to explain this. And you see, to Israel, the people of the Old Testament, God had revealed this story. He had revealed that there is one good God, a God of order, who created a universe of order and goodness to reflect his own goodness. And that the only way we can end up with a universe where there's brokenness is if somehow there has been distance and drift between us and that God who is the source of goodness and order. And that is exactly what's happened. The Bible says that human sin has put distance between us and God. And that that is why this world has been plunged into brokenness. And this is why the poet ultimately says, God has done this. Not because God does evil, but because God had warned Israel over and over again that, look, to drift away from me is to drift away from goodness. And he had said to them, for instance, Deuteronomy chapter 28, he said this, All these curses will come on you, because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly in the time of prosperity, Therefore, in hunger and thirst, in nakedness, and dire poverty, you will serve the enemies the Lord sends against you. Now, let's just take a double take and hear this correctly. God is not saying that if you're going through some hard time right now, some bereavement or something else, that he is punishing you for some lie you told last year or something like that. That is not what the Bible teaches. Jesus himself in John chapter 9 is very careful to say, look, we mustn't draw one-to-one connections that is so simplistic between sin and suffering, in a world that's already broken, it's far more complex than that. But the Bible is saying this, that the sin of Israel is a picture of how you, how I, have said yes to God's good gifts and no to God himself. And that puts distance between us and God. And that is why this world has been plunged into suffering. And you know, sometimes that experience of living in a broken world, it will be so painful that we will feel like losing all hope in God. And this is where the poet gets to, he gets to rock bottom. He says this, verse 16 to 18. He has broken my teeth with gravel He has trampled me in the dust. I've been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I hoped from the Lord. In verse 18, it is literally in the Hebrew, my splendor has perished. It's dead. And so too is my hope. I wonder what situation in life for you maybe causing you to feel like saying those words. My splendor, my, my motivation, my balance, it's, it's dead. It's gone. And so too has my hope in God. I've given up waiting for him to show up. Sam Albury uh, wrote a book a few years back called Seven Myths About Singleness. Uh, and in that book, he talks about a time when his own struggles with uh, Long term singleness made him feel like this. Uh, he said this at one place in his book as he was looking for a house. He said, I was it vividly seemed looking for a house in which I would live alone and eventually die. I reasoned no matter how fond of me a good friend seemed to be, they would drop me when work or family warranted it. I wasn't part of their real family. It became all-consuming, and I was unwell for some time. It may be that for some of you here today, that, that issue that Sam shares in his book is, is your exact struggle, and you feel the pain of that. It might be that your struggle is something completely different, maybe depression, depression or a family breakdown. Whatever suffering you are going through right now, I want to say to you that you can, like this poet, bring that to God. You can lament to him. You can honestly say to him how you feel. He invites you to take up these words. I have to say, personally, I've really struggled to get up here this evening to preach to you, because actually... (laughs) the kind of week i've had i've been felt feeling at rock bottom and and i've not i've not wanted to feel any hope i've wanted to be overwhelmed with grief and bitterness cuz hey what does it matter anyway but I thank God for this passage which I've had to preach this evening because as I've looked at it, he has been working on me. And I do want to say to you tonight, that God does not want you to remain without hope. He he wants you like Solomon in that video to, to lift your head slowly. He wants you to look at him and to renew your hope. That is what he wants for you. And I want to say to you, you can Renew your hope in God's covenant love for you. That is what we're going to see next. You can renew your hope in God's covenant love for you. Have a look at what the poet says to himself in verse 19 to 21. He says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope." Now, I find that a bit confusing, <laughs> which is it? you just said a few verses ago, I have no hope, now I have hope. You see, he's describing the process, the journey that God has been taking his heart on. He, Yes, on the one hand, he can't just flick a switch and forget his pain, no. He says, I remember it. I well remember it. But on the other hand, there is an even deeper memory. He allows a crack in the wall of the pain and he thinks about who God really is. I call this to mind, therefore I have hope. What is it that he calls to mind? Well, it's verse 22 to 24. Look at these verses. They're wonderful. Because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed for his compassions never fail they are new every morning great is your faithfulness i say to myself the lord is my portion therefore i will wait for him you see this is who god is at bottom this is god's essential character Because of the Lord's great love. In the Hebrew, it's the word hesed. It means his covenant love. It means a love that does not ebb and flow with circumstances. It's the love that he's binding himself to with an agreement. In the Old Testament, when God called Moses to make the people of Israel his own people, he made a covenant with them. A binding agreement sealed with sacrifice. And in that covenant, bloody sacrifices were made as a sign that God was saying, look, if I could break my love for you, let me be like those animals, broken and bloodied. And so when this God revealed his name to Moses, he said these amazing words, Exodus 34, and he, God, passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness. Yet it does not leave the guilty unpunished. This, who God is, is what the poet calls to mind. The God who is unbreakable covenant love. You see, This God cannot leave you alone. Yes, he punishes the guilty. That is those who ultimately reject his love. But if you're one of his children, that is not you. If you're one of his children, no matter how awful a situation you might be in, you can know that it cannot be. It cannot be because God has stopped loving you. He has bound himself to you. And this love is not something God does, it is who God is. And that means that He cannot depend on how pleasing you are to Him to love you. This is who He is at bottom. God is compassionate. This is the God who looks on even a violent city like Nineveh and says to Jonah, Should I not have compassion on them? How much more will his heart go out in love and longing for you when you feel like you're without hope? How much more, are you who are his child? God is love, says 1 John chapter 4. He is abounding, he's, he's overflowing with it. It does not depend on you. The 16th century reformer, Martin Luther, said this. That the love of God does not find, but creates that which is pleasing to it. And this is true. We know this is true, because living this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we know that the love of God has stepped in, and is taken the initiative to make us new. You see, we can look in the midst of our pain to that greater man who has seen affliction out of love for you and I. Here's how the prophet Isaiah put it in Isaiah 53, describing Jesus. He says that we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. At the cross, out of love for you, the Son of God chose to take on the affliction that our sin deserves, to face the darkness in your place. At the cross, the Son of God lamented on our behalf, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was utterly so that you and I don't have to be. No matter what we're going through, we never need to fear that God has left us because Jesus has paid a price. This love (laughs) renews hope. This love gets us up again in the morning. Now, I want to say to you that Whatever your pain, whatever your grief, if you've put your life in the hands of Jesus Christ, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Sam Aubrey, I mentioned earlier, and he, he remembered this love. He called it to mind when he was going through his struggle. And he said this, life in this tragic and fallen world is fraught for all of us. It is not a problem of singleness. It is a problem of life. The only guarantee is that Christ will never leave us or forsake us. In the darkest recesses of the valley of the shadow of death, Christ will be with us. Not even the closest friend or spouse on earth can walk with us through death. Jesus wants to renew your hope. He wants, wants you to walk into the good things that God has for you. Do you believe that? Amen. And so this is what we see last year. When we find our hope renewed and the love of God, we find strength to trust him for forgiveness and for justice. Trust God for forgiveness and justice. Uh, Hashim Garrett, who should come up on the screen, he's, He's a man who had plenty of reason to lose hope. Uh, At only age 15, he was involved in gangs, and he was hanging around one day with his friends when he got shot six times in the back, leaving him paralyzed from the waist down. And as he lay in his hospital bed, in anger, he said, revenge consumed me. All he could think was, wait till I get that kid. But the longer he stayed in hospital, he began to read the Bible. And in there, he read of God's love and God's forgiveness towards sinners. And actually, he began to think, here I am, filled with rage and revenge. But six months earlier, I shot a kid. And he realized it made no sense for him to hang on to his pride and his self-righteousness. And he, he, he said this about his situation. He said, I felt God has saved my life for a reason. I could never go back out there and harm someone. I was done with that kind of mindset and the life that goes with it. Now I tell this story to demonstrate something unavoidable. When we come to God's love, his love eliminates pride. You see, his love, if we've really received it, helps us to see ourselves not only as people who suffer, but as people who sin and who need forgiveness. You see, For Hashim, he realized about himself lying in the hospital bed. And God, it might be, is calling you tonight to realize that too. And, And how is that going to happen? Well, let's look at what it looked like for the poet. He he said this to himself and to Israel, verse 40 to 42: Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven and say, we have sinned and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. He is able to say this because he is now confident in the love of God. And therefore, he has confidence to confess his sin. And it might be that God is saying to us today, to you, yes, voice your protest. Please do that but also voice your confession. You see, it's like the poet takes on the voice of the people and he says to them, look, hey guys, look, let's, let's check it out. Look, we know that Babylon has sinned against us. They've done evil. But have we not sinned? Have we not rebelled? The love of God enables us to say this. I don't know if you noticed the tension in verse 42. He says, We have sinned. You have not forgiven. There's a tension there. And the reason that tension exists is because the people he's speaking to have not yet confessed their sin, they've not come to God for forgiveness. We need need to be careful about suffering, because it can have a dangerous effect on our hearts. I remember a time when I was looking for months for a job and could find nothing. And I just got myself into this cycle of bitterness, where whenever I looked at someone mildly successful, I would begin to judge them in my mind. I would begin to look at them as privileged or as superficial. I was, I was blinded from seeing my own sin, my own sins of idolizing career, of bitterness, of judgmentalism. I wasn't seeing it anymore. I needed to examine my ways and to realize that as much as I want to protest God, I, I also need forgiveness. And you see, for us today, that tension of sin and not forgiven. That doesn't exist. We know that Jesus Christ has paid the price and we can come to him, we can confess. God will forgive. He wants you to do that, maybe even this Sunday, if you've never done that before. And lastly, the love of God means that we can trust him for justice. We can trust him for justice you see, I wonder whether when we talk about justice, we mean the same thing the Bible does. Let's just look at what the poet says, and let's, let's think about that a second. Verse 58, he says this, You, Lord, took up my case. You redeemed my life. Lord, you have seen the wrong done to me. Uphold my cause. You have seen the depth of their vengeance. all their plots against me uphold my cause, is looking to God. See, I think when we mean justice, we often mean something very different, don't we? For us, maybe justice means taking sides in a culture war against left and right, women and men, socialists and capitalists. This is not what the Bible means. Justice in the Bible is saying, God, you need to come and rule. And when you come to rule, you will drive out everything that opposes your rule. Justice is what we're praying for when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done. And that is the poet's hope. As he looks to God to uphold his cause, he's saying, I'm not going to make myself judge, you are judge. And like him, we too can say, you redeem my life. Restore my life, restore life in this earth to the way it should be. I'm trusting you to do that. Now, I do want to say one thing. if This is not saying that if you are in an abusive situation, you just stay there and suffer silently. No, you, you should report that. And I take it even in the act of reporting that, what you are actually saying is, I'm not making myself judge. I, I am choosing to give my cause over to those authorities that God approves, like a safeguarding officer or the police, And I'm letting God be the judge through those means. But whatever our suffering this evening, whether it's illness or bereavement, you can trust God for justice. You see, you can bring your situation to God and say to him, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Make it new. And God has promised to do that. He has promised to bring justice and renewal on the earth. And he will bring that day when his rule eliminates all pain. And that is our hope. As we finish, just listen to these words, the promise of God from Isaiah 25. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth, The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Amen. Let me pray for us as we come to a close. Our Father God, we praise you for the words that you've given to us this evening. We praise you that because of your great love, your covenant love for us, we are not consumed. Father, we thank you that when we look to you afresh, you renew our hope. And I just want to pray for all of us this evening and particularly those who are going through a hard time right now, I thank you that you know each of our stories and each of our pains. I ask that you would help any who this evening feel like hope is lost, to come before you and to lament, to be honest with you, with how they feel, with the pain, the shame, Suffering. Lord, would would you give us strength and trust to voice our protest? But Lord, we ask you that you would not leave us in that place of despair, but that you would help us to call to mind your great love for us through your son, Jesus Christ, the man who has seen affliction, not for his own sins, but for our sakes, Lord, we ask that you would renew our hope in his love for us. And that where we have sinned to confess, not because you are punishing us, because you are a good God who loves to forgive, that we would bring that to you. Lord, we pray that some will do that even for the first time this evening. Lord, would you move any who do not yet know you this evening to know that you are a God of love whose heart of compassion goes out towards them And that you long to forgive. And Lord, as was prayed earlier on, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine who are living through a year of lament. Lord, would you restore hope in that country with all its brokenness. And we look to you for justice and for peace to reign on the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.